0: Well, good evening, everyone. Welcome to our Good Friday service. Um, My name's Cassidy, if you don't know who I am, and uh, it's good to be with you all. Thank you, worship team and choir, for um, just helping us kind of calm down from whatever hecticness maybe we came in with and just kind of really start training our thoughts on on the cross. And um, tonight, we're going to be looking at 1 Peter uh, 2, uh, 22 through 24, the bulk of which we just saw. In that video, but we're going to be looking at that passage closer um, later on in my message. Uh, but Good Friday is a time in between the joy of Palm Sunday and the celebration of Easter Sunday. It's a time to remember what happened on Friday during Jesus' last week physically on this earth. On Sunday, he rode into Jerusalem to the adulation and praise of the crowds as they waved palm branches and laid coats in the road, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Over the course of the next few days, Jesus clears the temple, he debates with the Jewish leaders, and he spends time with his disciples teaching them. On Thursday evening, he met the twelve disciples in the upper room to observe Passover. During that meal, Judas was identified as the one who would betray him. And Jesus changed the meaning of some of the elements of the dinner as he instituted the Lord's Supper. After that, they went out to Gethsemane at the Mount of Olives to pray. And his disciples fell asleep. Over the course of the next 24 hours, Judas shows up with a posse and Jesus is arrested. The disciples scatter, and Jesus is brought before the high priest. Peter hears what's going on, and he denies ever having known Jesus. And during this time, Judas ends his own life. The Jewish leaders then deliver Jesus over to the Roman state in hopes to get a death sentence. And tonight, I want to slow the story down at this point. And what I want us to do is I want us to look at the cross tonight through the lens of Jesus' innocence. There are many different ways for us to remember and to reflect on what happened on the cross on Good Friday. And tonight I want us to approach it from this perspective. Not innocence defined as ignorance or naivety but innocence defined as the absence of guilt. Passover is a massive celebration for the Jews. It's a remembrance of God's deliverance of them out of slavery in Egypt. And every Jewish family observed this feast. That meant that every year, thousands and thousands of Jews would converge on Jerusalem during this week to celebrate but Jerusalem was under Roman rule during this time, and Pontius Pilate was the governor of Judea, where Jerusalem was located. Part of Pilate's job description was to keep the peace in the territories that he ruled. And even though he lived somewhere else, he was in Jerusalem during this time to keep the peace. One article says, As a Roman perfect, Pontius Pilate was granted the power of a supreme judge, which meant that he had the sole authority to order a criminal's execution. His duties as a perfect included such mundane tasks as tax collection and managing construction projects. But perhaps his most crucial responsibility was that of maintaining law and order. Pontius Pilate attempted to do so by any means necessary, and what he couldn't negotiate, he is said to have accomplished through brute force. So the Jewish leaders, after taking him to Caiaphas, they, they now take him to Pilate in hopes that Pilate would use this power that's been delegated to him by Rome to execute Jesus. But Pilate found Jesus to be innocent. So he sent him to Herod. Herod was the Roman governor of Galilee, where Jesus was from. So even though he was in Jerusalem, he had jurisdiction over Jesus' hometown. And even though Pilate and Herod hated each other, Pilate was hoping that Herod would be the one to deal with this situation so he wouldn't have to. But Herod, like Pilate, found Jesus to be innocent and sent him back to Pilate. Neither man found Jesus guilty of disturbing the peace or inciting riots or causing a disturbance. And Luke 23, 12 tells us that this whole ping-pong back and forth actually led to Herod and Pilate becoming friends. But the verdict that both men came up with was the same. Jesus was innocent. By this point, the Jewish leaders were livid. This was a group of viciously angry people bent on ending Jesus. As the crowds got increasingly agitated... And in order to appease them and quell any potential rioting, Pilate cowardly and unjustly sentenced Jesus to die and released Barabbas to them, who ironically was in prison for causing an insurrection and for murder. That tells you how scared the crowd of the crowds Pilate really was. He didn't want any problems, And he wanted to keep the peace, so he let the guilty go free, and he condemned the innocent. The beatings, the mockings, the pain, the torture, and death of the innocent Jesus are what we gather tonight to remember on Good Friday. But far more important than his social or political innocence is his spiritual innocence. Not only was he declared socially guiltless by Pilate and Herod, far more importantly, he was declared spiritually guiltless by God. He was innocent. Jesus' virgin birth meant that he did not inherit a sin nature. He was never cut off from God from birth. Jesus' perfect life meant that sin never separated him from his father. He was always in perfect communion with him. And Jesus even reminds his disciples of this relationship that he had with the father in the upper room the night before he's crucified. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the father and it is enough. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the father. How can you say, show us the father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his work. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. This relationship that Jesus had with the Father was never severed because of sin through his birth, and through his life, Jesus remained guiltless. And the only way to satisfy the holy and righteous wrath of God towards sin was for a pure, guiltless sacrifice to die for the guilty. In the Old Testament, this looks like animals. And specifically with Passover, it was a male lamb without blemish, Only a male lamb without blemish could be offered at Passover as an appropriate sacrifice to cover the sins of the people. And in the New Testament, Jesus is the lamb without blemish who would offer himself as the only appropriate sacrifice to take away sin. He was the spotless sacrifice for you and for me. There's something that doesn't sit well with us when we see the innocent suffer. Maybe we see a kid who is hurt. Maybe we know someone whose home got robbed, or someone who's been falsely imprisoned, or even, as in the Old Testament, a lamb that was minding its own business. Whether it's an innocent sheep or an innocent person, we often ask, What did they do to deserve this? We have a built in desire to jump in and defend them. The suffering of the innocent makes us squirm. Do we let Jesus' innocence sink in when we think about what happened at the cross? Does it make us uncomfortable? Do we squirm? Before Aaron and I met, I ran across this description of, of what happened at the cross in a book that I was reading, and it stuck with me through the years, and I wanted to read it tonight. In the book, When God Weeps, Stephen Estes and Joni Erickson Tada give the following account of Christ's death. As I read, refuse to let the scene be familiar. Let its reality shock you and break your heart. The face that Moses had begged to see, was forbidden to see, was slapped bloody. The thorns that God had sent to curse the earth's rebellion now twisted around his own brow. On your back with you, one raises a mallet to sink in the spike, but the soldier's heart must continue pumping as he readies the prisoner's wrist. Someone must sustain the soldier's life minute by minute, for no man has this power on his own. Who supplies breath to his lungs? Who gives energy to his cells? Who holds his molecules together? Only by the sun do all things hold together. The victim wills that the soldier live on. He grants the warrior continued existence, and the man swings. As the man swings, the son recalls how he and the father first designed the medial nerve of the human forearm, the sensations it would be capable of, and the design proves flawless. "'The nerves perform exquisitely. "'Up you go!' "'They lift the cross. "'God is on display in his underwear "'and can scarcely breathe. "'But these pains are a mere warm-up "'to the other and growing dread. "'He begins to feel a foreign sensation. "'Somewhere during the day, "'an unearthly foul odor began to waft "'not around his nose, but around his heart. "'He feels dirty.' Human wickedness starts to crawl upon his spotless being, the living excrement from our souls. The apple of his father's eye turns brown with rot. His father. He must face his father like this. From heaven, the father now rouses himself like a lion disturbed, shakes his mane and roars against the shriveling remnant of a man hanging on a cross. Never has the son seen the father look at him so, never even felt the least of his hot breath. But the roar shakes the unseen world and darkens the visible sky. The Son of Man does not recognize these eyes. Son of Man, why have you behaved so? You have cheated, lusted, stolen, gossiped, murdered, envied, hated, lied. You have cursed, robbed, overspent, overeaten, fornicated, disobeyed, embezzled, and blasphemed. Oh, the duties you have shirked, the children you have abandoned. Who has ever so ignored the poor, so played the coward, so belittled my name? Have you ever held your razor tongue? What a self-righteous, pitiful drunk, you who peddle killer drugs, travel in cliques, and mock your parents. Who gave you the boldness to rig elections, foment revolutions, torture animals, and worship demons? Does the list never end? Splitting families, acting smugly, playing the pimp, buying politicians, practicing exhortation... Filming pornography, accepting bribes, you have burned down buildings, perfected terrorist tactics, founded false religions, traded slaves, relishing each morsel and bragging about it all. I hate, loathe these things in you. Disgust for everything about you consumes me. Can you not feel my wrath? Of course, the son is innocent. He is blamelessness itself. The father knows this. But the divine pair have an agreement, and the unthinkable must now take place. Jesus will be treated as if personally responsible for every sin ever committed. The Father watches as his heart's treasure, the mirror image of himself, sinks, drowning into raw liquid sin. Jehovah's stored rage against humankind from every century explodes in a single direction. Father! father why have you forsaken me but heaven stops its ears the son stares up at the one who cannot and will not reach down or reply the trinity had planned it the son endured it the spirit enabled him the father rejected the son whom he loved jesus the god man from nazareth perished His father accepted his sacrifice for sin and was satisfied. The rescue was accomplished. There's something about the perfect, spotless Lamb of God dying on the cross for you and me that should make us uncomfortable. Not only did he suffer even though he was innocent, but his suffering was because of the sin of humanity. And that includes you and me. To help us understand this a little more visually, let's imagine that the water in this bowl was God's original creation. It's pure. It's untainted and life-giving. It's exactly how God designed things to be. But then, sin came into God's perfect creation. And it began to spread like an infection all over. It infiltrated every part of his good creation and it stained everything. No matter how hard humanity tried to clean itself up, we could do nothing. Our hands and our hearts were guilty. But then, at the time that God had determined, the promised Messiah was born of a virgin. He lived a perfect life, never having sinned. He was utterly unstained And completely pure. He was totally innocent. And then he willingly went to the cross. And through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, he absorbed sin and all its effects. The perfect, spotless, Innocent Lamb of God absorbs sin and all its effects into His pure and innocent being. He absorbed our sins and all the effects that it happened, that it created. He paid that penalty for you and for me. He took on the righteous, holy wrath of God so that you and I would never ever have to experience that. There's a line in one of the songs from City of Light that Pastor Carl introduced us to, and as I was listening to it this week, it kind of jumped out at me. It says, He stood before the wrath of God, shielding sinners with His blood. 2 Corinthians 5.21 puts it this way, For our sake He made Him to be sin. Who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Do you realize that without Jesus' guiltlessness, the cross means nothing? If he wasn't innocent, he would be dying only for his own sins. But he was the Passover lamb without spot or blemish, sacrificed for the guilty. And he didn't try to defend himself even when he was falsely accused. He didn't argue with the religious leaders trying to railroad him. He didn't lash out at Pilate or Herod in their questioning. Think about the times that you've been falsely accused. What's your response? We want to declare our innocence. We want to defend ourselves and clear our name. At any point, Jesus could have justifiably declared his innocence and aborted the mission. In Matthew 26, he says he could call down 12 legions of angels. That's 60,000 angels. But he refrained. He didn't do that. Because he loves us and has a plan for us. That in him... We might become the righteousness of God, or as our passage for tonight says, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Without his perfect sacrifice, this would never be possible for us. And this is why we've gathered tonight. This is what Peter's talking about in our passage. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to the judge, to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on that tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Why did he do this? because he loved us. He did this because of his exhaustive, incomprehensible love that we heard about this past Sunday. The innocent one loved the guilty. The flawless one bore our iniquities. The pure one absorbed our ugliness. The cross is a place where we are forced to grapple with the weight of our own sin as humans as well as the weight of God's love that surpasses knowledge. John Stott said, before we can begin to see the cross as something done for us, leading us to faith and worship, we have to see the cross as something done by us, leading us to repentance. As we face the cross then, We can say to ourselves both, I did it, my sin sent him there, and he did it, his love took him there. The spotless lamb of God absorbs sin and its effects because of his love for us, and so that through his death, we might die to sin and live free from its power and to live as God designed Jesus' innocence gives us an even deeper and more profound context of the love that he has shown us. Good Friday is meant to be a time of remembrance and reflection. For sure, we'll get to the joy and the celebration of Easter, but we first must let the weight of what happened at the cross sink deeply into our souls. We can't have an accurate understanding of Jesus' sacrifice without understanding the contrast between his innocence and our guilt. That contrast, however, is not meant to drive us to despair or to self-loathing. It's meant to, for us to fall on our faces in repentance and worship. Pastor Carl said on Sunday, worship is our heart's response when we've received the love of God. And remembering his sacrifice is an act of worship. We're going to do that together tonight through communion. As Jonathan comes up, I want us to take a few moments to reflect on Jesus' innocence and his sacrifice. Use this time to examine your life Confess those things that you need to confess and repent of those areas of guilt that you need to turn away from. And also use this time to thank God for the forgiveness that is offered because of the cross. As Jonathan plays some music, and once you're ready, if you've surrendered your life to Jesus, come forward and take the elements. You don't have to hurry. Come forward when you're ready. If you're a parent of young kids, we'll let you determine whether or not they've responded to the gospel and should take the elements. But once you have the bread and juice, um, just go ahead and take those back to your seat with you. Once everyone is back in their seats, we'll sing about the wonderful cross. And then I'll come back up and lead us in celebrating communion. Let me pray. God, it's easy to jump ahead to Easter with plans, with family, with all of that, but God, tonight we come and we stop and we remember the cross. We remember Jesus' pure innocence. He was never separated you from you because of sin, and yet he willingly sacrificed himself as the perfect Lamb of God. so that we could have a relationship with you, that we could die to sin, and that we could live to righteousness. And I pray tonight as we reflect on that, as we hold the elements, and as we examine our own lives, God, that you would just, by your spirit, just reveal those things that we need to turn away from, those areas of guilt that we have, that we would sacrifice those at the foot of the cross, and that we would accept your free forgiveness. And that we would live dead to sin and alive to righteousness, God. And that as we reflect on this contrast, God, that it would would amplify our celebration in two days. We love you. Thank you for this time tonight. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.